Jason. It's great to be with you today. Uh, what a pleasure and an honor. I want to give a quick uh, just word to uh, my family uh, back in Texas. I think they're watching my live stream at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, my mom and dad helped pastor that church there, and so I think they're joining us in worship this morning as well, so we welcome you as well. And uh, it's, it's just a wonderful day to be here. And here's what I believe. I believe God's moving and working, stirring in our midst. He's doing something. And I just want to be sensitive to that this morning. God may want to do something with us. Even at the 930 service, it seemed like God was just working and stirring in hearts. I don't know. I just want us to be sensitive to that this morning. So I just would want to pray one more time just as we get going. And, and if you would just join me in this prayer, just God, would you work in my heart this morning? Our pastor has been leading us in this way to pray that prayer. And I just want to pray that one more time this morning. Join me in prayer. Father, we come to you right now. And we're here to see you, to experience you. And Lord, we're asking that you, that you would pour out your spirit upon us in a way maybe we haven't sensed and seen, maybe in a while or maybe ever, Father. We know that you desire for us to worship you. So today I, I come asking, Father, that you would work in my heart. And I'm, I'm asking that my friends would just would be able to pray this same prayer. God, work in me. Speak to me. Reveal yourself to me right now in this place. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're finishing our series this morning on a heart that's pleasing to God. It's been a great series. I've enjoyed this. And as we wrap this series up, um, I want to consider God's heart for us. What is God's heart for us? Uh, so let's first define the word heart because we use that a lot and we've been using it a lot over the last several weeks. But what are we talking about when we're talking about this word heart? Well, it's, it's the depths of who we are. It's it's who we are on the inside. It's at the core of our being, and it's why we do what we do. So do you, know, do you want to know why you think the way you think? Look at your heart. Do you want to know why you speak the way you speak? Look at your heart. Do you want to know why things are important to you? You got to look at your heart. Dallas Willard says it this way in the first line of his book, Renovation of the Heart. We live from our heart. We live from our heart. So simply put, the heart in Scripture is an expression for the deepest, inmost thoughts and feelings of a person. Think about this with me. We are made in God's image, and a part of the way that we are made in His image is our hearts. Isn't it interesting that God is unseen and so is our hearts. Our hearts are unseen. No one knows what's in our heart. And and it's the hidden part of us. But from the fall of man till now, we see this even in Genesis chapter 6 of God's heart and our heart. Look at this. Uh, let me read this to you. Genesis chapter 6 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is right before the flood. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. You see, God's heart and our heart. And yet, 
We can see our hearts whenever we say or do anything. We get, it puts, gets put on display. We get to see it. Luke 6 says it this way. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the mouth, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what comes out of us, isn't it? You see our thoughts, you, you get to see our actions, and it reveals to us what's going on in our hearts. And we begin to understand what's on the inside of us by what comes out of us. Our pastor led that to us a couple weeks ago and showed us how in Mark chapter 7, Jesus explains to the Pharisees, hey guys, it's not what you touch that makes you unclean, it's what comes out of you. This is what it says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside our hearts and defile a person. See, our hearts reveal to us where we are with the Lord. And Scripture shows us there's some ramifications involved with our hearts in regard to the Lord. Psalm 24 says it this way, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? The one who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false little G God. Church, my fear for us is that we've gotten careless with our hearts that we've allowed the world to so invade our hearts and to pull our hearts to love the things of the world more than we love and delight in the things of the Father. Our hearts are at stake here. And and can you think of some of those things that pull out our hearts? What are some of those things? Some of them are even good. You can think of them, work. You could think of wrong relationships or maybe your online life. Uh, Maybe it's media. Things that pull at your heart, it's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, it's the pride of life. All of these things and a million more vie for your heart. They desire your attention and your affections. And here's what's at stake for my friends, your worship. Your worship is at stake and Jesus made it pretty clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. He said it this way, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. For what? They will see God. My friends, are we seeing God? Or are we so wrapped up in our own little idols that we're missing him? Think about this. What does God want from us? Well, it seems clear to me that God's heart for us is that he's after our surrendered heart. Our surrendered heart is what God wants. Our pastor's been preaching that week by week by week. And Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercies to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do you see it? It's it's the picture of us laying our lives on the altar of God. He's asking us, he's saying, we give our whole hearts all of our hearts to him. That's our spiritual act of worship. Do you remember the modern classic worship song? The Heart of Worship. Love that song. It's getting older and older now. It was new back in the day when I was a kid. But this is what it said. I'm coming back. 
to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. Because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. The song goes on to say, I'll bring you more than a song. And may I interject this morning that we need to bring more than my Sunday morning and more than just my occasional thoughts towards you or my leftover attention for you. See, the truth is, my friends, from the top to the bottom, we are all worshipers. It's the way God hardwired all of us. From the day that you were born, you were born to worship. God created you for this. And every day and every moment of the day, we all worship someone or something. It's happening. It's happening now. It's going to happen after we leave here. We worship. But what does worship look like? What does it look like? It, it looks like what you take great delight in. It's what you pursue. It's what you love more than anything. Because the reality is you can worship anyone or anything. You can, and you do. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have been guilty of worshiping other gods. I mean, look around you. Look at the world around us. It's pretty easy to see that our world can find anything to worship. John Calvin said long, long ago, our hearts, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Do you see the kind of the picture there? Is this this idea of we're just producing more and more idols just over and over? Like, let's see what else we can worship. Let's figure out what else we can worship. Our, our hearts are just this perpetual idol factory. So what can we do? How could we ever really worship God when there's so many difficulties we all face? So many distractions, so many opportunities to worship all these other things and can I tell you that we need to look at Jesus? Let, let me tell you, as I labored in the word, trying to understand, God, where are you leading us this week? God led me to this passage in Matthew chapter four and reminded me, he said, look at Jesus. Let's look at Jesus and what he did. How did he worship in the midst of the, the hardest test when everything was on the line and he's facing the test of his life? So Matthew chapter four is where we're gonna be. We're gonna start in verse one. I hope you have your Bible, open it up there. It's gonna be on the screen. We've got some other places we're gonna visit in the word this morning. So if you wanna open your Bible, we'll be turning to a couple other places this morning. Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice here that Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness. I've often thought in my life, why in the world would the spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness where he would be tempted? Think with me, think about this. Think about this, Jesus' obedience to go through the difficult, the most difficult place and the test in the wilderness shows me this, that my Savior wasn't above what you and I have to endure. This is not glamorous here. This is gut-wrenching. Jesus walking through temptation. 
And I love that Hebrews 4.15 tells us that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Praise God for Jesus being led to the wilderness. And he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and just like you and I, he would be hungry. I would be hangry is what I would be. And here comes the tempter. Isn't it interesting that that's the name that's used there, the tempter. Everywhere else in this passage of scripture, he's called the devil. But that's who he is, isn't he? He comes into your life and he's dangling the bait. Hey, look at this. Check this out. Doesn't this look good? And the devil comes to Jesus, and I can just imagine the scene there. He picks up these stones, or he points to the stones. I like to think he picks them up and, and maybe even puts them in Jesus' hands. He said, if you're the son of God, if you really are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. I know you're hungry. You could do that. And look what Jesus did. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, I want to show you the context of what Jesus quotes here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, because I think it's fascinating. If you've if you got your Bibles, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's not going to be on your screen. I'm going to read a little bit of text here this morning. I'd love for you to follow along. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. Because think about this. Jesus is using the word to combat temptation here. And so obviously he has that memorized. I think he's got all of this memorized, you know? I mean, he's Jesus. It's amazing, right? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. This is what's happening. Moses is giving his farewell address to prepare the people to enter into the promised land. He's about to say goodbye, and it's a renewal of the covenant. Look at this. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order, check this out, in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestor had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Let's skip on down to verse 10. For the sake of time, it says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Check this out. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and then settle down, and when, you when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, all the success, when you got it all, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. Did you see it there, church? The wilderness and the manna was a test of the people of Israel. 
You just see what it said? God wanted to know what was in their heart, whether or not they would keep his commands. And guess what happened? They failed. They failed miserably. God speaking through Moses was saying over and over and over again, listen, people, don't forget the Lord your God. You gotta remember how he brought you through the wilderness, how he gave you bread from heaven to eat. He brought water out of the rock. Look at what God has done. But yet when temptation came to the people, they did exactly what Moses told them not to do. And this was the warning in verse 19 of that passage of scripture. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and look at this, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify to you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Did you see what was at stake, church? It was worship. Worship was at stake. The question for the people were, will you worship the Lord your God or will you forget and allow your heart to follow other gods and bow down to them? That was the question for them. It's the question for us. So let's look back at Jesus. Turn back to Matthew chapter four. What did he do? Look, watch this. He's been tempted to fulfill his own need with the bread in the wilderness. Do you see the parallels? He's in the wilderness. He's got an opportunity to fill his need with bread. But he didn't. He didn't do it. He said, no, bread is not my savior. That is not what I need. What I need is every word that comes from the mouth of God. My friends, what is the bread that you are letting in your life to replace the very words of God to you? Where are you looking to bread in your life? instead of the words of Christ. See, to the Israelite people, the bread became a symbol of salvation in the wilderness. And now Jesus, who by the way, is the bread of life, amen? He's showing us he is all we need. I'm all you need. It's every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It's every word that comes out of the mouth of God that will bring you to where you need to be. This, my friends, is worship in the fire, in the fire of temptation. That is what worship looks like in the fire of temptation. And here's the deal, church. We're called to the same kind of response. We're supposed to have that same kind of response when temptation comes knocking at your heart. But hold on just a second. Temptation's not sin. See, sometimes I'm afraid, church, we just start seeing temptation come and we're like, oh, there it comes temptation. I've given into that before. I've just... Give into it again. That's just what I'm used to. I think we've almost trained our hearts to just see temptation come and just give in. It's weak. It's weak. Can't do that, church. We have to have that same response. But Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So temptation is not sin, my friends. You can look at temptation and you can say, no, I will not. That's what a heart that pleases God is, a heart that says, I will not settle for a lesser little G God. Because you see, when you give in to that little G God, this, this is what you do. You are delighting in and you are worshiping it rather than the God of the universe. That's what happens in that moment. And we could be finished right there. That'd be enough for us. But there's more. I want us to see the rest of this. Look at verse five back in Matthew chapter four. This is what it says, the next temptation. The devil then took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, 
throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So here's the picture. The holy city, we're in Jerusalem. The temple is the highest and the most magnificent and impressive building in the city. Everybody knows what it looks like. Everybody can see the picture in their minds. And to get an idea of this, many scholars believe that they're at the pinnacle, obviously. On the highest point of the temple, this would have been a 450-foot drop into the valley below. Can you imagine standing on a 45-story building and having someone dare you to jump off? So what's going on here. And even according to the Pharisees in John chapter 2, verse 20, they said it took 46 years for this building to be built. We're talking about a huge, massive building. And you see what the devil did? He quotes 90, Psalm 91, verse 11. He will command his angels concerning you. Wait, the devil knows the Bible too? Yes, well, he did, and he makes this true statement. But he took out only the part he wanted, and he left out the first part. I want you to see the context of what he left out. In Psalm 91, verse 1, this is what it says. This is great. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Do you see the protection? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. See, here's the dilemma. Jesus could trust in his own power Maybe he could have trusted in the angels. He could have tested God. But Jesus says, no, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In essence, the devil is saying to Jesus, do it your own way. Once you prove to everyone else here that you really are the son of God, isn't that what the enemy wants to do in your life? He's asking you, he says, why don't you trust in yourself? Why don't you trust in your own power and believe you can do it your own way? You can do good enough things. You can be a good enough person and make it. It's what the the enemy comes and tells us too. He wants you to trust in your own power. Let me ask you a question. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting for salvation? See, a heart that pleases God only trusts in him and not a substitute. That's a heart that pleases God as a God, is one that trusts in him and not a substitute. So let me ask you another question. What would it take for you to trust in Jesus? Well, one thing I know that has to be laid down is your self-righteousness. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. See, today, you may be going through the most difficult season of your life. You may be walking through something right now, maybe because of your health, maybe because of anxiety just has a hold on you. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe you're financially just hurting. Maybe you're depressed right now. Maybe you're you're dealing with some substance abuse. Maybe you're just, I don't know, you're going through the hardest time of your life, let me ask you a question. Will you trust God? Or are you gonna take the temptation to trust yourself or something else? Where's your heart? See, a heart that pleases God says, I will not trust in anything else except him. No substitute, no lesser God. But let's look at the last temptation, verse eight. Again, the devil took him 
to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Can you picture this? All this I will give you, says the devil, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Here you see the devil shows his full intentions. He lays every card in his hand on the table. And this is what he says, Jesus, you can have the whole world if you will bow down and do what? Worship me. The lure for Jesus of having it all without having to go to the cross. It's the easy path. This is the easy path and the only price to pay was worship. It's the price that is called of us. It's the price to pay for us as well. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to those around him, if you would come and follow after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And he goes on to say, if anyone wants to hang on to their life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you find it. You see what Jesus is saying there? It's about going all in. You can't hold anything back. If somebody takes up a cross, they're going to their death. There is no turning back. It's all in. It's all of our hearts. So another question for you, what is keeping you from going all in with Jesus? We see it all throughout the Bible. The rich young ruler, what was it keeping him? Money. We, we see the uh, King Festus in Acts. What was it for him? Possibly intellect. For another that, that Jesus called, he said, no, 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 let me go bury my father first. I gotta go take care of some family business. Another parable that Jesus spoke about a banquet. And one guest said, no, I've got, to go, I've got some land I gotta go see about. Another said, I've got some oxen. I got, I got a new ride over here I gotta go deal with. I got a business deal to make. Another said, I just got married. Can't come right now. What's keeping you from going all in with Jesus? But see, for Jesus, he wasn't taking the bait that day. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. It's the same passage he quoted as well earlier. I want you to see this in the context. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can flip over there. I'll read this very quickly. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and the decrees he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. You see what God cares about? A heart that pleases God is one that worships and serves him only. It's just him. No other God. Do you think it's a coincidence that whenever God gave Moses the 10 commandments, that the very first commandment, you remember what it was? You shall have no other gods before me. The very first one out of the gate. 
Because there are all these things, these idols, they vie for your heart. And here's what I'm saying, church, they gotta be smashed. We gotta lay those little G-gods down and God wants you, he wants your heart, he wants your whole heart of worship. That's what he wants. You see, many of you have heard over the last few weeks about a worship service that hasn't ended. It started with some college students that met for chapel on a Wednesday morning and it didn't end, it, it continued on. And for 300, over 360 hours, they can, had continual worship. Some are calling it a revival. Morning and night, morning and night, they continued to meet and people were repenting. People were uh, praising God and giving testimony and, and crying out to him and getting their life right. And people were getting saved. And long before all of that happened, the National Day of Collegiate Prayer was to be hosted by Asbury University. It happened this past week. I joined by live stream. Maybe you've been watching some of these things happen all as well. Man, and I praised God. My heart was just so stirred. Like, God, you're doing amazing things in the lives of these college students and worship is happening. People are repenting and trusting in Jesus. And I was overjoyed and overwhelmed to see what God is doing. But then it's not only there, but then numerous other college campuses, God has been working in places like Cedarville University and Texas A&M and Baylor and Sanford and Lee University and numerous others. And even in other parts of the world, like places that I love, Uganda, Africa, where a move of God is happening. And all you can say is just praise God. What an incredible thing that's happening. I've served here as, as a college pastor for almost 16 years. And I'll tell you, I, I love college students. And you know why I love them? I love them because they're just bold enough to believe that God may do something spectacular, that he may do something immeasurably more than they could ever ask for or imagine or comprehend. And then they would get to experience his presence in a way that they never had before. They're just bold enough to believe it. Could we today have that kind of boldness? And belief? Are we, are we just satisfied to just stay where we're at? I feel compelled to tell you a quick story about my life when I was a college student in East Texas in a small Baptist university there. There's a group of ministry students that we gathered every day. The Lord placed it upon our hearts that we needed to pray. We needed to pray every day after that class that God would just work and move. And so we did. We gathered and we would get on the floor of that classroom and just get our face down to God. And we said, Lord, God, do something. Would you, would you work in our hearts and our lives? Would you do something on our campus that we could, that just you, could you do something? We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And in the spring of that year, God did it. He did just that. I was a part of a worship gathering that didn't end. And we were at a chapel service sort of like the, the folks in Kentucky, and it continued on and people continued to worship and, and people were repenting and, and saying, I, I gotta get right with the Lord. I've been doing it the wrong way. And, and then outside of the, the chapel, there were people in groups meeting all over campus and they were singing songs together and they were crying out to God and they were praying together and they were crying and it was just, I'd never seen anything like it. It was incredible. It really changed my life. I, I, I was, I've never been the same since that, just because it just, I, God's presence was so there. So church today, I believe we have an opportunity to worship the one true living God. And listen to me, a move of God 
A move of God is not going to happen when we hear the most powerful sermon preached. A move of God is not going to happen when we sing the best and the greatest worship song and we have the greatest worship band ever. I don't even believe that a move of God is going to happen when we, have, when we feel like we've got everything just right in our lives. We get our stuff together. You actually, I think the enemy would want that in your life. I think the enemy would want us to say, hey, just wait. You need to just wait until you get everything figured out in your life and then God's gonna do something in you. It's a lie. It's not true. No, I believe a move of God or a revival happens when we as God's people humble ourselves, when we repent, when we pray, and when we seek God's face, I believe a move of God can happen. When we don't hold on to any part of our hearts and we give it all to him, we say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I've done it wrong. Forgive me. Here's what I believe. He opens his arms and he receives us like the loving father. This is what it says in Jeremiah 24, seven. I want you to read this. And I believe this, as he said to the remnant, the exiles that were sent away, this is what he said to them. I will give them, it's on your screen. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. Church, it's time for us to get on our face before God, repent and return to God with all of our hearts. And so that's the invitation today. Come, get on your face before God. Cry out to him today. Listen, you maybe have been a Christian all your life. I mean, you may be a leader in this church. I'm I'm just asking if God's speaking to your heart, would you lead in that way? But here's the thing, the enemy will tell you a lie. When when you feel like God's moving in your heart, here's what he's going to say to you. You you shouldn't go up there. Don't go pray at the altar. Don't go pray as a pastor. You know what people are going to do? They're going to look at you and think, what's going on with them? What did they do? What's wrong with them? They're going to judge you. It's a lie. It's not true. God wants to work in your heart and your life. And if we'll be obedient and say yes to him, God can do something immeasurably greater than we could ever ask for or imagine. But so much of the time, our pride and the enemy wants to hold us back from what he would want to do in your life. And what I'm asking you to do to this day is to not listen to that lie and to know that we will rejoice and say, God, thank you for moving in my life that you could come to the front, pray with a pastor and speak with someone. Listen to me. You do in your heart, would you feel like the Lord's leading you to do? And don't let anything hold you back. There was a Saturday night service recently. Our pastor was preaching. I felt in my heart toward the invitation time, God say, you need to go and pray at the front. I just felt it very clear. And you know what I did? I stood there and I, I had that, that little conversation in my head. But God, I'm, a, I'm one of the pastors here. What are people going to think? Are they going to judge me? I had the same thought. Praise God, and that, that, that evening I said, no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be obedient. I just went down to the front, got on my face before the Lord, cried out to God, repented. So that's the invitation for you. Maybe today you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never been saved. And you know in your heart today, right now, your heart, it's not his. You're not in the Lord. He's calling you right now. We're gonna have pastors and people that'd be here that would love to help you to say yes to Jesus today.
And so I'm just, we're going to open this up in a moment, and we want you to respond. We're going to take as long as God works and moves. And so I want to pray. When I say, when I say amen, that, that'll be your cue to come and just respond to however God leads in your life this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth, your word, God. We ask for forgiveness, God, that how often we have made it so many other things, God, that we've, we've run after and pursued all the idols. Forgive us. Bring us back to the heart of worship, Lord. It's you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's always been about you. So work and have your way. Have freedom to move in this place, Lord, however you see fit. Work in our hearts, Lord. Help us to respond to you now. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and would you respond just as God leads in your heart right now?